Well, we've been going through the, the Sermon on the Mount, or we've just begun going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought it would be appropriate for us to take our time uh, through the Beatitudes, for they are rich uh, individually, and we don't want to lose track uh, of the trees, or we don't want to uh, lose uh, the opportunity to appreciate the trees just because we're looking at the whole forest as well. So it is important to contemplate each individual tree uh, appropriately without losing track of the forest, that is. And today we're at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This beatitude contains perhaps what is the greatest paradox of Christianity. It, It wouldn't be too hard to get a passing grade in a Greek uh, test, uh, if you were asked to translate this from the Greek to English, if you translated it as happy are the unhappy, you wouldn't get top marks, I think, I hope, but it it wouldn't be too out of the strictness of Bible translation. You could legitimately translate this passage as happy are the unhappy. But that sounds more like a a contradiction than what it really is and how the Lord Jesus intended it for us to, to understand it as a paradox. It is a paradox. The notion of happy or blessed are those who mourn runs counter culture to everything we know in our culture in our society, in our day. Our society tells us that joy and happiness is the greatest goal. You, you must do everything possible in, in your power to achieve the highest good, which is happiness. Money, energy, enthusiasm, everything gets dumped into entertainment. That we all may be happy in some way, shape, or form. That is the greatest or the great aim of everyone in this culture, particularly in the West, but I would say in the world. It's not just a Western exclusive. On the reverse side, the world does everything possible and imaginable to avoid the greatest evil, which is sadness. No one wants to be sad. So they, they go to great lengths to suppress it, to uh, do away with it, to forget it, to put it uh, in, the, in the rear view mirror. Forget your troubles, they say. Turn your back on your worries. And I would say that this is one of, if not the, main reason why Christianity is so opposed. True Christianity, the Christian message, the Christian, is rejected by the world. Why? What is the common accusation that you hear from the, from the mouths of your co-workers? Or you don't hear them usually. This, we live in a British society. People are, 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 are not as front, uh, direct as that. But sometimes you, you overhear, maybe. Uh, oh, so-and-so is such a killjoy. That's why they don't like being around us. We're killjoys. 
We, we, take, we, we suck up all the, the happiness out of the room uh, in their minds. In, his, in the Gospel of Luke, our Lord Jesus uh, is recorded saying, Blessed are those who mourn. And then he says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. That's, that's the extent. And I would say another thing, and I'm not the first, I'm, I'm riffing off of other people's work here, but others have mentioned this uh, in recent times. But I would say that this is a part of the problem that we find in church today. That's a part of the sickness of church in our age. Is that we forgot that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You go out, and even in our church, and even in our circles, we find that temptation so strongly. And we'll speak more about this. Don't, don't take everything uh, and, and just... There's caveats here as well, but in our own day and age, what do we hear people saying about church? Oh, you have to be cheerful. You have to attract people with entertainment, with happiness. Put a smile on your face. Christians are meant to be happy. And yes, we're meant to be happy. Don't get me wrong. I'll caveat all of this in, in, in the process or throughout this sermon. But, but that's what we find. Sacrifice everything in the altar of pleasing the world, giving the world what it wants. Precisely the opposite of what the Apostle Paul did in his ministry, by the way. The Jews wanted uh, signs and the Greeks wanted power. What did the Apostle Paul do? He gave them nothing of that. He gave them precisely the opposite of what they wanted. The reverse is also true, by the way. Before you think, oh, the, the pastor is telling me that we, are, uh, that we should have this godly, uh, this uh, pious, uh, grieving uh, attitude. The, uh, this weeping, uh, lamenting uh, kind of Christianity. That is also wrong. And in, in days gone by, that was uh, perhaps very prevalent where you're not really a Christian unless you're always crying and unless you look, feel, and act miserable every single day of your life. That's not what I'm advocating for here as well. To mourn, as our Lord Jesus is saying here, is to realize the The darkness, the heaviness, the, what it really means to sin, it follows from necessity. The first beatitude, you remember the first beatitude that we looked at two weeks ago. It says that blessed are the poor in spirit. And it wasn't speaking about being spiritually poor, deficient. It wasn't, uh, and we saw that our Lord Jesus was not meaning being poor in holiness and poor in, 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 in zeal and, and in good works. It, it was speaking of blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt, that sin has bankrupted them. They are poor in spirit, for, they sh for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this second one, it is spiritual mourning. 
Blessed are those who mourn. As we confront ourselves, as we put the the mirror of Scripture before our eyes, and as we place ourselves in the presence of God, and as we see God holy and just as He is, and we spiritually deficient as we are, helpless and hopeless, as we discover our own unworthiness, the only attitude that is fitting for those who have come to know that they are spiritually poor is to mourn for their sin. Is to mourn for the persons we are. We must of necessity mourn our sins. And the text, this text's main idea is, Blessed is the man who is desperately grieved for his own sins, for his own unworthiness. But then, in the same time, it is that mourning, that sorrow, that produces the greatest of happinesses, blessedness. So we'll look at two things. First of all, I want to look at the guilt that convicts us, the grief that consumes us. And then we'll look at the comfort that is offered to us. So the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word that he uses there for mourning is the word pantothes. It means to weep, to lament for the, the death of a loved one. This word has the deepest sense of sadness that is available in the Greek vocabulary. It's the, the kind of sadness that is not just some kind of uh, sorrow in, in the heart, but really you're, you're managing to power through it uh, uh, outwardly. It's the kind of panthotis, it's the kind of weeping that not only crushes your heart, but then displays itself in outward form. This word is the strongest term in the Greek vocabulary to denote pain and suffering. It is uh, the word that in the Hebrew, uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it is the word that is there when Jacob uh, is lamenting for the death of his, or for what he assumed was the death of his son Joseph. When he believed his son to be death, Jacob mourned in the same word here is used. It's not just uh, the pain that, that causes a, a sort of a heartache. It's more than that. It's, it's suffering, that it's outwardly visible. But yet, as, but as I've mentioned already, but let me mention again, I, uh, through repetition, that was something our Lord Jesus also used to do. Um, you might get it. This is not mourning over outward circumstances. It's not mourning over the de- this mourning that the Lord Jesus speaks of. It's not mourning out of, because of the death of a loved one. He's speaking of the death of, a, of your own self. It's the death of of your own person, your innocence, 
your righteousness dead and you mourn for it. It's the godly sorrow that the Apostle Paul speaks of. He says, godly sorrow produces repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. For godly sorrow, godly mourning you could say, produces repentance leading to salvation. The sorrow of mourning is the, is the, the grief of repentance. Because we understand this. Our Lord Jesus is not making an absolute statement about all of those who mourn. Not all of uh, mourners are blessed. Not all mourners that we come across in the, in the history of this world, even today, not all mourners are comforted. So it must be in some kind of category or quality of mourning that makes it so that it is a, a, a mourning that produces blessedness and comfort. So it's not carnal mourning. Again, I'm, I'm working from the, the works of others. Thomas Watson does a brilliant job in expounding this beatitude. He speaks of carnal mourning. The carnal mourning uh, is when a, a person is mourning for outward things, for circumstances, for, for the loss of, of, uh, uh, of material, earthly things, not for the loss of purity. In the same passage that I just quoted in 2 Corinthians, then Paul goes on to say, the sorrow of the world produces death. So in scripture, you have two kinds of sorrow presented. You have a godly sorrow and you have a worldly sorrow, a carnal sorrow. You have a spiritual grief, a spiritual mourning, and you have a carnal, earthly mourning. It's Ahab mourning for not having Naboth's vineyard. It's Pharaoh Repenting of his repentance, when after allowing the Egyptians to go out uh, and, and, uh, and go, uh, go home, he then repented. He, it, it reads there that the Egypt, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they, they, their hearts uh, mourned. When the Lord Jesus speaks of mourning here, he's not speaking of remorse or despair. Judas mourned, but he did not mourn in a godly way. You know, you remember the story of Judas. He betrayed, he sold our Lord Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, and then he saw his sin and he was sorrowful. He confessed this sin. He even justified Jesus by saying he was innocent. I shouldn't have done this. He betrayed an innocent man. Where is he today? Where is Judas today? He's in hell. And he went further along than many in our day. Realizing, mourning, grieving over their sin. He gave the money back. 
His conscience was accusing him. But he wasn't truly repentant, was he? He was just remorseful over the consequences. He was just remorseful over the, the, in despair over his actions. But he never repented. The true repentance, true gospel repentance. There are many who mourn because of their failures and errors. There are many who weep when they commit mistakes, when they're faced with the consequences of their actions. A, a thief gets caught stealing. And when the police show up and, the, and they place the handcuffs on him, many times, uh, if you watch these police uh, reality TV police shows, you, you see them, they, they start crying. They're mourning, they're weeping, they're, they're, they're in despair. But they're only mourning and weeping because of fear and because of the consequences of their sin. It's Cain. Cain, after killing Abel, he mourned. Oh, the, this punishment is so great that I can no longer bear it. It was his punishment that grieved him, not his sin. He was his, uh, his, uh, it was the fear of retribution that caused him to mourn. Not the fact that he had broken God's law, that he was a sinner in God's presence. That's diabolical kind of mourning, carnal mourning. It wasn't the brokenness of repentance that caused him to weep, to cry out. No, it was the consequences. It was the outward things. It was the, the things that there are there. That's not the kind of mourning that our Lord Jesus speaks of. And you say, you're just telling me what, what kind of mourning that Jesus is not speaking of. Can you tell me what is the kind of mourning that he speaks of? Yes. In the past, it was called gospel mourning. Again, I'll... I'll uh, or, the Puritan Thomas Watson, he said, gospel mourning is spontaneous and free. He must come as water out of a string, not as fire out of a flint. It's not forced. It is spontaneous. It's free. It's something that, that we freely acknowledge as water comes out of a spring. Gospel mourning is spiritual. It's not because of the, anything outward. It's not because of any consequence. It's because of our own hardness of hearts that we mourn. It's, it's David, Psalm 51. That's gospel mourning. You and you alone have I sinned against. And what does he say in, in, in Psalm 51? My sin is ever before me. It's Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from the body of this death? Gospel mourning. Gospel, uh, the, the mourning that our Lord Jesus speaks of here. Is the, it's the mirror in front of us. 
You see, today we weep because of hard times, but we never weep because of hard hearts. Why? Because our doctrine of sin is, is deficient, if ever present. Instead of mourning over sin, we rejoice in it. The world rejoices in it, but what a terrible thing that so-called Christians seem to rejoice in sin. They won't outwardly say it, but they delight in unrighteousness as Paul says to the Thessalonians. And, these, and to be one of those who rejoices in sin is worse than being in or not worse, but it's more damnable than, or it's more damned than being in hell. Rejoicing over sin. Because those in hell, they no longer, at least no longer rejoice over the sin that they've committed. There's no more joy there. But here, the, the wicked in hell no, no longer uh, delight in sin. Brothers and sisters, if we are Christ's, if we belong to Christ, we will want nothing to do with sin. Why, you ask? Because it was sin that put him on that cross. It was sin that held him there. My sin, your sin, that held him there. So every time we commit a sin in, in this life, it should cause us to grieve for the pain we've caused our Savior, for the cost of our salvation. How can we rejoice in it? Those pet sins. How can we rejoice in it? We should mourn. True gospel mourning. Going back to what it what is that Jesus is talking about here. True gospel mourning does not cause us to be in despair. But it sends us flying to God, fleeing to God. It's the gospel morning of, of the prodigal son. He found himself in a foreign land. He found himself uh, away from his father, having seen sin before heaven against his father, having done all of that. What does he do when he mourns his sin? He goes running back, pleading forgiveness. True gospel mourning does not cause us to turn inwardly and, and give up and dis despair and give up, but it causes us to go, arise and go to our Father and plead for His mercy. And that's what we see throughout Scripture. Jacob wept and prayed. The people of Israel in you know, Hosea, they wept and they offered sacrifices in, jud in Judges. We read that, that they, they, they wept and they've offered sacrifice as well. You see, true spirit-given spirit, uh, mourning produces in us a duty. It propels us to action. 
Why? Because there is a mixture of, of uh, mourning with hope. With hope that as we see our sin and go to the Father, with hope that he will save, that he will forgive. Hope puts us upon using the, the means given to us. And what are the means? Confessing sin. For he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So when we sin, we grieve, we mourn over the sin we commit. But at the same time, there is hope and we go to Christ. And we receive his forgiveness. Some people, they are driven when they, they grieve and when they mourn. But they are driven to the wrong thing. True mourning, gospel mourning, godly sorrow is a sign of a new birth. It, it doesn't come natural to us. The natural man, when he sins and when sin is found out and when we see sin in ourselves, what is it that we, are, that, that we tend to do naturally? Justify ourselves. Not to cry, but to say, actually, I have a good excuse for this. I, I have, not a good, we don't call it a good, a good explanation for why I'm doing this. The true gospel mourning melts the heart of stone. It is into tears of repentance. And weeping for sin does produce joy. Because weeping for sin is the way to true happiness. If you weep for sin in this life, you will not weep because of sin in hell. Hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But God, God now takes our tears. In, in Psalm 56 verse 8 he says, God takes our tears and puts them in a bottle. He puts them in a bottle. God stores those tears. Because those tears are blessed tears. They are tears of a transformed life. Now is the time to grieve. Now is the time to mourn. Because in heaven we will be comforted. So the God who comforts. We read that mourning is not forever. We are not to mourn because it gives us some kind of masochistic pleasure. We are not to mourn because Christians are, uh, should be miserable. Or depressed, or depressed kind of people. If it was a, the, in the Lord of the Rings, you have the, uh, the Marsh Wiggles. And the Marsh Wiggles are the kind of people uh, who can see a cloud in every, in every sil silver lining. Yes, I, I'm not getting it wrong on the other way around. They see a cloud in every, every silver lining. We're not Marsh Wiggles. Because we understand that those who mourn will be comforted. Charles Spurgeon said, How great a blessing is godly sorrow since it gives room for the Lord to administer comfort. Our griefs are blessed for they are the, our points of contact with the divine comforter. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? of your own life? Isn't it true of your brother and sister's life as you speak with others about this? Isn't it true that it is in the hours of mourning that we come closest to God? 
It is through sorrows and trials that we so often find ourselves pouring our hearts before the Lord. Not when things are going well, but when things are going wrong. When seemingly there is nothing of joy. Mourning is, exists because we live in this world. Yes, we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Yes, we are already uh, uh, enjoying all the rich blessings uh, of, of life in the kingdom of God. The blessedness is ours here and now. But because we still live in this in-between world, we still experience its fallenness. We mourn not because of our fate, not because of our destiny. We mourn because of our present and yet we are comforted because of that which is set before us. Because one day our mourning will be turned into laughter. One day our tears will be wiped away. Weeping may last for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. In the kingdom of heaven where we will be forever and ever. God himself will make it so that we are, he will wipe the tears off of our eyes. In heaven there will be no more decrying wretched man that I am. For sin will be no more. We will need no more to ask who will rescue me from the body of this death. Because the body of this death is done away with. Because we'll be fully delivered. The righteousness that now exists within us. Planted as a seed that is watered by the tears of our mourning will then in heaven fully bloom and no longer will there be sin to cause us to mourn for there will be no sin there. No longer will we mourn the sins of others as well. Well, I didn't get into this and I won't go there. But the sins of others cause us to mourn. The sin in the world causes us to mourn. Why? Because we're aliens. We're strangers in a foreign land. And, uh, and there is sin all around us. But when we get to heaven, there will be no more sin around us. The psalmist says this, Psalm 120, verse 5 and 7. Woe is me, for I dwell in Mesech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with the one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Why is it that he's mourning, the psalmist? Because he understood. He understood that he's living in the land and, that, and his earthly surroundings are not... The, the heart's desires of those around him differ from the heart's, his own heart's desire. He wants holiness, he wants peace, and they want war and wickedness. But in heaven, you will look forward, you will look to your right, to your left, you will look all around you, and you will see no sin. You will see all around you the citizens of the king, your brothers and sisters. In heaven, there will be no more sin. Not in you, not in others. Sin is barred entrance at the door. Sin has been dealt with. All of those that you will see to your right and to your left and in front and behind you, all of them in your presence, in the great 
kingdom of heaven. They will all be those who have been cleansed by his blood. And you will no longer see those who are opposed to him. Because in heaven you will, you will see the total number of the children of God. Those that have been purchased with the blood of his son. Those that are come from, a, from a, people of every, a, a people of every tribe, tongue and nation. In heaven they will all be there. From east and west. Now yes we mourn. Because it seems that we are so few. It seems that we are, that we are uh, losing a, an unwinnable battle in heaven. Comfort will come because we'll see then the measure, the full measure of the Lamb's triumph. And on that day, you perhaps meet people, won't you? You'll perhaps meet people who will say to you, you know what? It was you. Something you said to me many, many decades ago stuck with me. And look, here I am. Here I am. Oh, that we may see the fruit of our labors in heaven. That we may see the glory of God revealed. What a comfort heaven will be. That's why the mourners will be comforted. That's why we are Mourners, because here there's nothing. In this world, there is absolutely nothing that will satiate where our hearts long for. The ultimate comfort possible. The ultimate comfort is only possible because Jesus, because Jesus is our perfect model because he is the mourner he is the one who cried not for sins his own but for the sins of others he is the one that as he looked upon Jerusalem he cried for the sin of the great city he was among the mourners he was the one that drank the cup of grief and suffering before you could return to his father. But he drank it and now he's in heaven. And because he is there, because he experienced what we are experiencing in much smaller form, but because he experienced fully and perfectly and first, we will follow in his footsteps. Yes, this world here is a world of suffering, but so it was to our Lord. In this world, things seem to fall apart. But in heaven, no longer Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But Jesus is no longer among the mourners. He is enthroned in heaven. He weeps no more. Psalm 2 says that the Lord now laughs at the feeble plans of the wicked. In heaven, he now 
stands in our place, interceding on our behalf. And we hear and we read of those great prophecies, the ransom, Isaiah 35, 10, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So brothers and sisters, blessed are they who mourn over their own sin for they will be comforted. Because in Jesus, the penalty for their sin has been paid for and its power has been canceled. Blessed are they who mourn over the sins of others for they will be comforted. For they will be granted a place in God's kingdom among God's people where sin will no longer enter. Blessed are they who mourn over lost humanity, for they will be comforted, for they will see the whole multitude of the Lord's people brought into the kingdom. I think the, the writer of our final hymn put it more beautifully than I could ever certainly aspire to. 621. We will sing it in a, in a short moment. But if Kathy wants to start making her, her way there, it's fine. 621. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark has been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. In this world, we mourn, we grieve, we sorrow. But we all know, everyone knows what mourning, grief, and sorrow is. The real question is, where do you go for comfort? Where is your consolation? Where do you find consolation and comfort? The promise is that in Christ you'll find blessedness if you would look to him while mourning. The answer is not to be despondent. The answer is certainly to have a correct view of who, the holiness of God, a high understanding or a high deep doctrine of sin so that then we would know what it means to mourn and what it means to be comforted in the